Well, hello and welcome to another episode of All the F's with me, Bex. I am absolutely buzzing to bring you this episode. It's a special one with a guest expert talking to us all about menopause. Kath Munro, GP, menopause specialist, the only accredited menopause specialist in the northwest of England. We were so lucky to get the opportunity to speak to her and have her answer our questions for 45 minutes. Also, she has agreed to do a part two. So whether you're a Transfigure member or not, I really hope that this information is useful to you, helpful. Please share it and pass it on to female friends, colleagues, family members who might be perimenopausal, who might want to know more about the options available to them in terms of HRT, medications, how to speak to your GP. Honestly, this episode is gold. Reach out with any questions, any thoughts, any feedback. And like I say, Dr Munro is going to come back for part two. Without further ado, I'm going to pass you over to listen in. I really hope that you take loads away from this and enjoy it. Thanks, Bex. And uh, lovely to meet everybody. I'm Kath Munro. I'm a GP. Um, up until... Almost a year ago, I worked in Stockport as a GP there, but I've moved up to Kendall and um, uh, settled there in James Cochrane practice in the last year. Um, I've got a, I started out in urology actually, so did quite a lot of women's health from a pelvic floor perspective, but then went into general practice. Um, and over the last five, six years have, um, have developed uh, and grown an interest in menopause. And only in the last couple of weeks have been recognized as an advanced specialist with the British Menopause Society, the only accredit- BMS accredited specialist between Preston and Dumfries on this side of the country. And I think we've possibly got somebody in Newcastle area over the other side and then somewhere around middle of Yorkshire. So there's not many of us around, which is part of the problem, I think, at the moment. One of my aims is to do a lot of training, a lot of talking to us women in general, but also to clinicians to try and increase that that training. Conscious we've not got loads of time, so I'll try not to rub it on. Bex, if it feels like I'm going off track, come in and give me a nudge. Um, uh, thank you everyone for um, uh, posting questions. What's been, I actually checked with Bex just before you all joined, you know, are these genuine questions? Because it feels like it's um, it's built up a, for, from my presentation. So I wonder if Bex, I wondered whether Bex had done this, but clearly there are lots of people with lots of different menopause experiences and hopefully I'll be able to answer some of the questions. Because we're limited for time, I thought I'd just start with a very quick summary of HRT per se. It sounds like a lot of you have got a bit of a the gist of, of what it's all about anyway, but then talk a bit about symptom questionnaires, um, a bit about um, vaginal uh, symptoms around menopause and management, a bit about risks and benefits, uh, a bit about testosterone, uh, a bit more about risks. I'm, I've just written it all down, tried to make it into, a, into something that will flow. Anyway, so where do we start? HRT, what is it? And I'm sure you're all aware the two main hormones, we've probably all watched Davina as well, which helps the two main hormones, estrogen and progesterone, the third hormone, testosterone. I'm going to park testosterone and come back to it later. Um, but so talking about estrogen and progesterone, anybody that has a womb, I said this in a talk a couple of weeks ago, and there was a panic around the room as a couple of people realized they didn't have they weren't on the right treatment. So anybody that has their womb needs estrogen and progesterone. Oestrogen um, uh, to manage symptoms. This is what I always say: estrogen to manage symptoms and progesterone to protect the lining of the womb. Actually, progesterone does have some benefits in itself as well, but we're not going to get into that today. But estrogen and progesterone. If you're within a year of your last period, 
you should be given sequential HRT. So the, the um, either patches that are sequential or um, gel or spray with progesterone on two weeks on, two weeks off or something along those lines. The other way of having it, so if you're more than a year since your last period is a continuous combined approach where you have the same dose of both hormones every day. Um, there is oral HRT and there is through the skin HRT. Oral HRT, the tablets, um, I don't use a whole lot of. I'm probably getting more confident with that over time. Um, but generally, we know that the risks of through the skin HRT are much less. Um, and so I tend to work with that because that's what I've been trained to do. But that's not to say if you're on tablets that that's not an OK thing to have. And we'll come back to that. We're talking about risks and benefits shortly. There was a question actually while we're on it. Um, somebody had asked about um, the Lenzetto spray. So there are patches which can be estrogen only or combination. There is the gel, which needs to be used in combination with progesterone separately. In, and there's a few different options for that. And there's the spray, Lenzetto spray. Um, Lenzetto spray works slightly different than the others, but there's no reason why you can't have it. All three patch gel and spray are transdermal, so all through the skin. Um, but the Lenzetto spray um, is a bit harder to work with, I would say. Some people find it really excellent. Some people find it a bit more awkward. And in my experience, I find more people struggle with it um, but to get to get to grips with it. And the dosing of it is a bit different. The spray, you apply three blobs of it on your forearm and let that absorb. And that's the equivalent of a 50 microgram, so a kind of standard dose patch or two pumps of estrogel. Um, there are also non-hormonal options, which if we get chance to talk about, we will do, because uh, I think somebody had asked a question about that as well. And I think that's really important. Um, the first thing I'm going to talk about is symptoms um, beyond, beyond what we've done already. Somebody had asked a question about, is dizziness a symptom of menopause? The balance um, menopause uh, symptom questionnaire. There are other, there's a green climactric symptom questionnaire as well. But if you look up balance or go onto the balance app, it's a great way to keep track of your symptoms and know where you are with things. A list of the symptoms on the symptom questionnaire, if you've not looked at it, heart beating quickly or strongly, feeling tense or nervous, difficulty sleeping, memory problems, attacks of anxiety and panic, difficulty, difficulty concentrating, dizziness is, I think it's on there somewhere, uh, certainly tinnitus, muscle joint pains, headaches, tinnitus, lots of different things uh, that are on there. And that is because I was, um, I'm hoping you're all still there. Yeah, um, that is because um, uh, estrogen is in uh, most cells in our bodies. Um, if you cut a bit of skin off your arm uh, and it's looked at under a microscope, not proposing that you do that, you'll find estrogen in there. It's in a hair cell, it's in your mouth, it's in your eyes. Anywhere you can think of, it's there. And some of you that are perhaps perimenopausal may have noticed things like um, brittle nails or hair thinning dry eyes, dry mouth, all sorts of things that you can get. But dizziness is a particular uh, one that, I, that um, I can put my own hand up and say I've experienced around the time of menopause. Um, uh, causes of it is just, it, I mean, it's so multifactorial. It can be dizziness to do with blood pressure and blood pressure can go up and down for all sorts of reasons around menopause. Um, it can be to do with your inner ear. Um, it can be to do with the way that estrogen receptors work in our brain. So there's a few different reasons. And the other part of that question was, can estradiol make it worse? So can give, having HRT make dizziness worse? Um, it kind of fits with another question, feeling worse on HRT, uh, what to do about it? So just to cover that one off now, and then I'll put a tick through it. Um, estrogen 
uh, can some people can be a bit sensitive to estrogen some people can be a bit sensitive to progesterone there are different symptoms that some people can get from bloating nausea dizziness can be in that group as well so estrogen if if um if you're on a cyclical regime of hrt um progesterone is normally given in a patch or, or in a capsule a body identical progesterone at night um so there's the oral option if you're on a eutrogestan a capsule and you think that you might have symptoms related to it the question said feel like i've got pms so if it's either if you're on it cyclically and you've got those kind of symptoms you can use that progesterone capsule vaginally um if that makes it better great for some people it doesn't it's sometimes that it takes a bit of unpicking to work out is it um estrogen or progesterone but if if we think that it is progesterone then marina coil is an option um uh, so it just it, it, there's work to do with the progesterone side of things from an estrogen perspective. If we think it's related to that, you can go onto the gel and start really, really low dose, microdose your estrogel and build it up slowly to half a pump to one pump. And I've got a few ladies that I've done that with. And eventually we've got them established on an HRT re regime. So if you feel worse on it, we can normally find a way around it. If we can't, we can go to the non-hormonal options and we'll come back to those afterwards. I'm just pausing for a sec just to make sure not, nobody needs to ask anything or um, that there's nothing prompted by that. Um, I'll move on. Somebody had said about concentration around menopause um, and the specific question uh, was, are there ways to help improve concentration? And that's a really interesting one. Can't seem to focus. I think it's a really cut. If you don't, if I don't in the next half hour have a moment where I just go blank, then that'll be unusual. And I'm on my HRT on a reasonable dose and feel pretty good on it normally, but I can still feel those foggy moments. And um, so concentration, important bits, sleep, exercise. I'm sure Bex will be saying the same. Exercise, good diet, reduce your caffeine. I know when you're younger, caffeine can help with concentration and brain function, but around menopause, it just complicates things and really wrecks your sleep. Sleep, concentration and brain fog all knit together uh, really strongly. Um, so estrogen doesn't normally make concentration worse, but it can sometimes agitate some people and just refer back to what I just said about reducing the dose and building it back up again. Um, but yeah, concentration can go out the window around menopause. There's all the mindfulness, relaxation, all those kind of things that can help. But sleep is really, really important. Um, and sometimes people go on to HRT to really try and help their sleep. And as a knock on effect, we'll have an improvement in their concentration, although estrogen often helps with concentration and brain function anyway. Oh, right. Next question. Can one blood test be enough to discount perimenopause? Um, no, I think just in brief, um, British Menopause Society would say anybody over 45, you don't need to, to do a blood test, base it on symptoms. And there's good reason for that, that the, the hormone, I can't get the, the diagram up, but basically your hormones through your reproductive life are lovely and up and down um, and regular. And then around perimenopause and those that are there will know what it feels like. You're up, you're down, you're all over the place. And that's the same for the biochemical levels of things. So you just can't get a good, reliable level on a blood test. So the advice for those over 45 is don't bother with the test. Just get on and treat. Unfortunately, then the British Menopause Society says for those under 45, its wording is pretty much you need two blood tests six weeks apart. And if they're both raised, you can diagnose an early menopause. And what they then say is, if the blood tests are OK, you should go and see a menopause specialist. If, if the GP suspects that you might be perimenopausal, 
go and see a menopause specialist. But in reality, there are hardly any of those around and you're going to wait for 18 months. So my message and certainly the message I'm giving to clinicians when I'm doing training is look at the symptom questionnaire and listen to the patient. And if they're describing symptoms of perimenopause, even if their bloods are okay, if they're at the right age and the periods are starting to change a little bit, or even the slightest bit, or PMS is increasing, give a go of, of HRT. For the vast majority of people, you are not going to do any harm. So it's worth a try and just to know that you can feel better with it. And then you can be armed with, do you know what? Here's my symptoms. I want to give it a try. I've given it a try. I feel better. I want to stay on it. Or actually, I don't feel any better and I need to look for a different reason for this. So um, the early menopause between 40 and 45, um, it's um, it's really, really, it doesn't matter diagnosing early menopause. Certainly in my book, I would much rather think people get onto HRT and get their symptoms improved. Under 40, I would use the same approach. The difference is, that it's really, really, really important to know about POI, so premature ovarian insufficiency. But again, we can we can sit and wait for it to happen, but if all those symptoms are there, and you, particularly those that have got a family history of early menopause, then it's much more important to get onto some HRT because the health risks are much more if you're, if you're going through menopause under 40. So um, for me, the age thing is not a barrier. Um, I think I know a lot of GPs are still stuck in that mindset and actually that's what the BMS advise. So I, um, but like I say, I can't do everything all at once. I'm trying to educate as many people as possible to mm. uh, think, worry less about the blood tests and think more about the symptoms and managing those. Could I just um, chip in just because one of the ladies has mentioned in the chat and the other lady who asked that question is in my head because she's definitely under 45 and Nikki in the chat is 39. Nikki's saying... She is really battling with her GP. She's had, she hasn't had a period for three years. She's ticking every box. Now I know Nikki has things like hot flashes and all your absolute box ticks. Yeah. And her GPs just keep saying your bloods are normal, you're too young. And that is where that conversation is ending. So I know but, Nikki's particularly frustrated. Yeah, there's there's um there's a particular thing with if you've not had a period for three years and your bloods are okay, I think that there's good reason to get referred into the gynae system to just kind of go go towards a specialist. Um uh but at the same time, if you're if you haven't had a period and you've got all those to go armed with your symptom questionnaire, I'm sure you probably have, um, have the conversation again, try a different GP. Uh, you know go, shop around is my message I know that's not always straightforward there aren't loads of GPs around either but um, if you've got the symptoms and there's nothing else to be found to be causing it and um, I would be going back and saying look I know that I've got increased risk of osteoporosis cardiovascular disease and um, uh, here we go is my is my uh, dementia <laughs> so um, <laughs> uh, so uh, you know they're all um uh, things I'm concerned about, why can't I have a try of it? Um, if I feel better, then I'll stop bothering you. But up until then, I'm going to keep coming back, you know, and keep giving you my symptom questionnaire. Give them one every month, you know, send one in to be scanned onto your, to your notes. So all that information's there. Uh, and, I, you know, it's worth a try is my message. And if that helps. And that's so interesting. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think a lot of the time we just kind of obviously we look up to like our GPs as a figure of authority. So when they say no and send you away, you kind of just go away. Um, but I know Nikki's been a couple of times. And I know Steph, who asked that question, has tried like seeing the nurse and then seeing the other nurse. And she said to me, I even saw the 
menopause specialist at that surgery who was yeah. a nurse and she said they're all just saying you're too young your bloods are fine so yeah. you think just kind of be tenacious with it yeah I do I mean you know like I say there's, there's a I, I don't know the history I don't know what else is going on but if all your other tests are okay and this is you've got those symptoms I would say what why would you not give me this to try you know, there is no harm to it, you know, so, and again, don't know your, so long as your other history, sorry about the dog, um, as long as your other history says there's not a massive risk factor, then, you know, I think it, it's, it's, there's nothing to say that you're not perimenopausal. If you've got a family history of early menopause, that kind of helps sell the story. I guess the, the thing with what I'm not wanting to do is undermine GPs. I think where we are is, that lots of people haven't had the training, you know, and lots of people are couched in the, the, the knowledge that we all either came through medical school with or that we um, uh, have grown up with the WHI study, different things that said there were risks that we've now realised that they aren't anything that we need to be concerned about. It's worth having a look on um, women's health concern and balanced menopause, loads of limit, lim um, information there and leaflets. Um, and it's possibly worth looking at the British Menopause Society as well. So British Menopause Society, premature ovarian insufficiency. Take as much information as you can to your doctors and say, look, here I am. You know, this is what I'm reading and this is what it's telling me. And I feel like this. So please, can I try it? Is that helpful? I hope it's helpful anyway. Um, uh, but bear with general practice while it catches up I think is the thing um which is why I'm trying to arm people with the information and you know and say keep going keep trying because um uh, you know it gone are the days when GPs can say I don't believe in HRT or you absolutely can't be I just think that the British Menopause Society does not say that it says you know the risks are there give it a try um and we haven't got enough menopause specialists to be referring people around right I'm going to move on if that's okay Someone had said about um, vaginal dryness during intercourse, what are the options? And also, and the second subsidiary question um, about the female Viagra availability. Uh, now, no is the answer to female Viagra. As far as I'm aware, I've not seen anything about it, heard anything about it. All that would do would be improve uh, blood flow around the, the vagina. It probably wouldn't make a difference to arousal. I don't think it would make a difference to dryness. Um, I don't think I've seen any studies that say that that's the case, but... Vaginal dryness around the time of menopause, estrogen down there is really, 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 really important for reducing your risk of pelvic floor insufficiency, reducing your risk of water infections uh, and improving the condition of the vagina. I spend a lot of time in my GP with interesting women's health looking at vaginas and it breaks my heart when I see old ladies with very estrogen deficient vaginas I won't use well no I normally talk about crispy vaginas versus fluffy vaginas um and um and the, the message is definitely get estrogen down there re-estrogenize so there's vaginal estrogen in pessaries so little tablets in inserts the kind of little bullet-shaped torpedo pessaries uh, there's cream uh, so the estrogen is really really important if people can't there are very few reasons why people can't have vaginal estrogen. But if, for instance, someone had had breast cancer, it probably needs a discussion with the specialist. Um, beyond that, there's vaginal moisturizers. And I guess the movement in the menopause world is, why would you not moisturize down there when you moisturize your face and everywhere else? It actually, if you put moisturizer regularly down there, it will make a difference, even if you're not using estrogen. But why not use both? 
treat it as you would treat the skin elsewhere even though nobody's well not many people are looking at it usually it's important to keep it to, to keep it healthy and to keep it feeling and your vagina will help you for it uh, will help it will thank you for it um lubricants in intercourse can also help um but i would always make sure that you your estrogen sorted and the moisturizers are sorted and use the lubricant as the last thing uh, that's the way to approach it i would say but i guess my, my message there is look after your vagina estrogen down there don't hesitate if it's itchy and irritated and you're perimenopausal get some estrogen there caveat is if you're on hrt systemically about 70 percent of women don't need estrogen down below as well um but sometimes so i'll see ladies that have been struggling with perimenopause a dry and sore starting hrt and i would normally start them on vaginal estrogen at least for the first three or six months while they're getting established on there through the skin hrt I hope that's helpful. Next one, we're talking risks and benefits. So um, told I can't have HRT because I suffer with migraine. You can have, it, there is, so migraine with aura, the wiggly line one, um, and people will know what I mean by that if they get that. Um, or people that get a weak a, a focal migraine, slurred speech, those kind of things. You can't have oral estrogen. So you'll have gone through your life not having the combined pill. But if you, that's because estrogen, when it goes in orally, goes out through the gut, through the liver and increases the clotting factor production, which means that you have more clotty, skin, uh, cl clotty blood. Um, if you have the same estrogen through the skin, it doesn't go through the liver. And so it doesn't cause a problem. So I have migraine with aura and I am on HRT through the skin. The only difference is that it's probably best to be on a patch if you are uh, if you're a migraine sufferer. What I tend to do is start people on gel to gradually increase the dose and then get a patch when you're, when you're on a stable dose. The a migraine with aura, keep doing it, migraine with aura um, is um, sensitive to spikes in estrogen. So if you suddenly slap on a 100 microgram patch, so a full dose patch, you'll probably get a migraine. If you suddenly slap on two pumps or four pumps of gel, you'll probably get a migraine. But if you gradually put increase it to a, the dose that keeps your symptoms okay, and then do an equivalent patch at that dose, you'll almost certainly get rid of your migraines. And I pretty much have them for myself when I was getting them weekly and certainly after exercise for a while when I was perimenopausal. Um, slightly different question from a lady uh, who's 51 now, but had a stroke age 24. And I'm assuming probably wrongly or maybe wrongly that that was pill related. Um, I would work on the same principle. If you had a stroke at 24, there would probably be a specific reason for that around either the pill or a clotting thing. If you're under a hematologist now, it's probably worth speaking to the hematologist about it. Um, I, can, or I can see actually GP had started the estrogen, I've just remembered. Um, if you're on estrogen at 37.5 micrograms, you may as well be on it at 50 or 75 or 100. There's no reason to be on a lower dose patch. There's no sense to that. If your GP is happy to give you a low dose, they should be happy to give you whatever dose manages your symptoms. I think that's it. And also you've got your marina, which is a really, really, really good way of having your progesterone, which I probably didn't mention when I was talking progesterone previously. Marina coils are brilliant. They are licensed for contraception, which is really, really important. Nobody asked about it, but really important up to the age of 55 uh, for a lot of people. And actually, if you're perimenopausal and your periods are going, you kind of think, oh, I might not need HRT, uh, need contraception anymore. But unless you know your periods have been stopped a year, there's a good chance that you could still get pregnant. And HRT will increase your fertility a little bit around this time. So people do get caught out with surprise pregnancies and those little kind of bundles of unexpected um, goodness. 
Um, so make sure yeah, you can I just um yeah. before you move on, just I'm keeping an eye on the chat. It is a migraine specific question. So I oh. wanted to jump in. Mm. One lady said she is on migraine medication. So does HRT increase the risk of stroke because she's taking that? I think that's what she's no. been told. No. HRT does not affect your stroke risk. Well, it does actually, it reduces your stroke risk. Again, you know, I'm giving this information in a standard form. I don't know your backstory, but um uh it, it migraine so all, a lot of the advice that sits in the hrt leaflets is old or related to oral medication and they just haven't transferred it across so if you look at vaginal estrogen it has a load of risks around it that are absolutely not relevant and people get very worried about it but being on migraine medication so if you're on triptans for instance doesn't matter hopefully going on to hrt will mean you need less of those if you're on um uh, I'm trying to think of anything. That, so there's a couple of um, epilepsy type medications that people might take for um, for migraine, um, but it shouldn't do anything to your stroke risk. Um, uh, so, yeah. So I, in summary, you shouldn't need to worry about HRT and stroke risk if it's HRT through the skin. No matter what the leaflet says, it should be fine. But if you're under a specialist, it's all, always worth checking with them. The problem is some specialists aren't up to speed either. If you can get into a menopause clinic at some point, it's probably worth speaking to somebody there. Uh, I'll pick up that next question as well. Obstetric cholestasis when I was pregnant would not be a reason not to have HRT in the future, um, as long as your liver function's okay. Um, and, uh, and even if your liver function's a little bit borderline, it would still be okay. It's only contraindicated if someone's got active liver disease at the time that they're on it, and we would take people off it for that reason only. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just fl flicking up this list here. Sam's question, I'm 54 and haven't had a period for over two years. I'm on an HRT patch, should I be taking anything else? Hopefully that patch, if you've still got your womb and I'm assuming you have, should have estrogen and progesterone in it. So either Everil Conti um, or Femiston, Fem7 Conti, um, they're the two. If it's one that's just got estrogen in it all of the, the month round, then it is, uh, oh, so it's just gone off my screen now, uh, then you need progesterone as well. So be sure to get on, make sure you're on progesterone as well as estrogen if you've still got your womb 100% of the time. Um, I think I'm down to testosterone on the, the, on the list unless, oh no, what did I want to say about, um, uh, I knew I would forget what I, why I'd written this down. The progesterones are important in stroke risk and in clot risk. This is just important to say. So the Eutrogest and the body identical progesterone or the Marina have the lowest risk of clots. Some of the synthetic progestogens that sit in the patches, so norethisterone in Everell, uh, Conti and Zequi, and Levonogestrel in Fem7, um, uh, both have a slightly increased clot risk. So if you have any risk of clot or migraine or whatever, look at, look at Marina's and look at Eutrogestan as your progesterone options. I think that was what I wanted to say there. Testosterone, I'm gonna move on to testosterone. How are we doing for time? Um, when is it needed? And the person had asked, is it legal? And so testosterone is absolutely definitely legal, but it's not licensed in women. And I think that there's a subtle difference there. Licensing of medications means they've been through lots and lots and lots of studies um, and gone through big trials, and then they get a license and they can pres be prescribed freely. There are lots of things as, as, as a doctor that I prescribe that are not necessarily licensed. For instance, I said before about using the progesterone capsule vaginally, that's not licensed. 
Um, so testosterone isn't licensed because they haven't done loads of studies on women and testosterone, but that doesn't mean women can't have it. It's okay to use it. Um, uh, and it is, so if you, again, here we go. British Menopause Society says that testosterone can be prescribed to women with um, uh, hypersexual desire disorder. In other words, a low libido that's affecting quality of life and that you should fill in a questionnaire about libido before you have it prescribed. So that's my BMS hat. Um, what I know as well, and in fact, there are some studies going on starting through the British Menopause Society and also Newson Health that do the Balance website are doing some studies about testosterone because when you prescribe it or when I prescribe it, um, uh, certainly when I'm working in the Newson Clinic, which I am currently at the moment, but won't be in the future because uh, I'm leaving at the end of this month. Uh, when we prescribe testosterone, um, uh, we find that people get an improvement in other things as well. For instance, brain clarity, um, concentration, muscle recovery, and general energy levels. So those things, there seems to be, they seem to be other things that improve. And it makes sense. That's what testosterone does. You have a surge of it around um, the middle of your reproductive month when you're, when you're in your reproductive uh, years, um, which goes with improving your libido so that, you know, you want to get it on and make a baby. Um, so, um, yeah, so when you miss that, testosterone starts to drop in your twenties though, and, and gradually drops and not everybody's drops. I'm going to put my own hand up. I asked for my testosterone level to be checked and mine's really good. Um, and I haven't really got a low libido. I was just curious to know whether, whether it would help with that concentration thing and those little lapses that I have, but my testosterone level is absolutely fine, even though I am definitely postmenopausal, unfortunately now, um, and um, uh, and probably been perimenopausal since 41 and I'm now 49. So my testosterone levels maintained and it's kind of maintained through the adrenal glands, which do still produce it and different people produce it to different levels. And there's all sorts of stuff to talk about there, which we can always come back to another time if needed. Uh, but so in essence, um, when when is it needed? It's around libido primarily, British Menopause Society. But if you're on it and, and the other advice is, always estrogenize first, get estrogen in your system uh, for a multitude of reasons. One of which is that about 70% of women are symptom free on just estrogen and progesterone and you don't need testosterone as well. Estrogen's the things that's got all the associated health benefits with it. That's the one to go for first. But if you get onto a decent dose of estrogen and then you're suffering with the libido side of things, testosterone is worth a try. And I've seen some really, really good um, symptom relief with, <coughs> excuse me, with testosterone. Uh, so, but, you know, I've been able to prescribe it at my practice for the last eight months-ish, roughly six months, maybe. And I've prescribed it to maybe 10 people in that time. Most other people have been fine without it. And I think, you know, I generally have a conversation about testosterone with, with all my patients at the practice. Um, so not everybody needs it. Not everybody benefits from it. You can, we say stay on it for six months. Um, and if you've not had an improvement in that time, come off it because you're not going to get that um, improvement. Um, I've flipped over onto breast cancer risks now and family. So family history first. Um, if you've got a family history of breast cancer, I'm going to park the BRCA stuff. But if you've got a, 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 you know, if you've not got a known family history or you've got some people in your family that have had breast cancer, it's always worth thinking about, do I need to go and get genetic testing to know what uh, whether what my risk is? But I guess the fact of the matter is that we don't know all the gene risks and all the things that run in families beyond BRCA um, that, uh, that can cause breast cancer. So the general advice is that your risk is your risk. Um, and HRT doesn't make a massive 
uh, doesn't have a massive influence on that. The other thing we know about HRT, so if you've had a hysterectomy and you're on estrogen only HRT, it reduces your risk of breast cancer. So that really kind of, kind of goes against a lot of the, the things that we think and the reasons that we think about risks with breast cancer. Um, and the other thing that we know is there's a whole load of other stuff that, that you need to think about with risk. And if I could get the breast cancer poster up, I would. Um, so for women aged 50 to 59, the background risk in the population of breast cancer is 23 per thousand over five years. If your BMI is over 30, that doubles your risk of breast cancer. So I have a big conversation, and this is one of the main reasons I do menopause stuff is about the whole lifestyle conversation that happens around perimenopause and menopause. If you drink alcohol, it in alcohol more than 14 units a week, it increases your risk by several, probably one per thousand per year or thereabouts. If you um, smoke, it increases your risk by slightly more than that. If you exercise more than two and a half hours per week, moderate exercise, it reduces your risk by more than one per thousand per year. Um, so, you know, that the message is keep your weight ma managed as best you can, eat healthily, don't smoke, manage your alcohol, exercise regularly. And there's a whole load of other things you can do to manage your risk without needing to worry. Um, if you're under 51, again, parking bracket, if you're under 51, um, then we consider HRT doesn't increase your risk of breast cancer anyway, because half of women, the average age of menopause is 51. Half of women uh, will still have estrogen circulating in their bodies till then. So the argument is keep the estrogen going until then, at least, and you're not doing adding any increased risk. While we're on it, the ben benefits of HRT I kind of touched on before, but cardiovascular risk, dementia, we're starting to see the benefits of HRT um, and osteoporosis. I mentioned it before, women going through menopause under 40 have a massively um, increased risk of cardiovascular disease and osteoporosis compared to women that have gone through a menopause in their kind of late 40s, early 50s. Um, so it's really, really, really important to think about that. And, I, you know, even with a family history of breast cancer in the family, you don't really need to be worrying about it in that category. BRCA is different. Um, again, the British Menopause Society has got some really good advice around BRCA. If you've had your risk reducing surgery, then you treat it as get onto your, it's really, really important to have your estrogen back. Um, if your family history is strong, it's worth going to a genetics clinic. But again, the ri your risk is your risk. And for most people going on HRT, even if it did increase the likelihood of presentation of breast cancer because it increased the risk of growth of breast cancer cells, for most people, it doesn't increase any mortality. So we think it possibly increases the rate of growth of a cancer cell, but it certainly can't make a normal cell turn into a cancer cell, which I think is a really important thing to know. Um, Hormone-free options. How are we doing for time? Hormone-free options. I didn't think we'd get through all this. Hormone-free options. Um, this is the time when it's really, really important to know your symptoms and have a look at that symptom questionnaire and kind of almost prioritise what you want to what you want to sort out. So if flushes is the main thing or if anxiety and depression are the main things um, or whatever the other bits are, um, there are different things. There's not, not, there's not something for every symptom on the symptom questionnaire, but certainly we know something like um, venlafaxine, which is an antidepressant, a particular kind of antidepressant, and a couple of the SSRI medications, uh, um, antidepressants, are good at managing both sweats and anxiety and low mood. Um, gabapentin is another medication 
um, that some people might be familiar with, but is, is recognised as being beneficial for sweats particularly. There are other things that you can have as well. Um, you know, we haven't, nobody asked about herbal remedies um, and we don't, there's lots of things that might help a little bit individuals, but it obviously doesn't give the health benefits alongside it. And if you, if you weren't taking HRT because of significant risk, um, breast cancer risk, for instance, then you probably shouldn't be taking the, the herbal remedies either. However, the hormone-free options, the prescribed medications are probably worth looking at. Um, and then the duration of HRT is really important. That I think someone said, I'm approaching my next medical review and feel like medication review and feel like I'm going to get it, get stopped. British Menopause Society says that there is no time, no age limit to going on HRT and no time limit. A word on age, actually. All the evidence of benefit for HRT is under 60. But for most, it's it, then over 60. What I tend to say is that the evidence of benefit isn't there, but that doesn't mean it isn't present. And there's no flip uh, switch that flips it, that, that as you hit your 60th birthday, that means your risks have suddenly gone up. So for most people um, uh, who are otherwise pretty fit and well, and certainly my, my patient population around Kendall, a lot of the people are relatively fit and well, um, HRT is fine to see whether it helps or not. And the, the, the thing that the British Menopause Society talks about is that as you get older, you need less. And also you may... It, Basically, what they're saying is there's no time limit to it. Everybody should have an annual review of their HRT and a discussion about their risks. And what I normally say is what we know now isn't what we're going to know in five and 10 years. We'll have more evidence, probably of benefit, possibly of risk. We don't know at the moment. Um, but um, the, that conversation each year should encompass that. And then you should be able to make your own decision based on your own symptoms and all the rest of it to decide whether to continue it or not. So I don't know how old the lady is that, that posted the question. But there, you know, there is, I've got ladies in their 80s that are saying you're going to wrestle this HRT at my dead hands. So, you know, and, and who am I to say that they can't have it? You know, um, if they were on a tablet, I would want them to come off it and go onto something through the skin for most people. But, um, uh, but yeah, you know, if, if it makes you feel better and you're still having sweats, which some people will um, into their 60s and 70s and 80s then, you know, why, why would you not have something that could make that better? That was kind of my job as a GP. So I think I've kind of whipped through all those questions and I hope it's not so fast. I guess everyone can watch it back if they want to. Um, but I hope I've not whipped through so fast that everyone's gone flipping egg. But we can go through it. It's, you know, if we're going to do a second session, Bex, we can always pick things up that people want to kind of, oh, can we have a bit more of a focus on that? Then I'm happy to come back and do it that way. And I definitely think that there's going to be definite call for a second one. Yeah, it's been amazing. Can I just add one in just to finish? Yeah. Because I thought it was such an interesting question. One lady in the group has been through menopause. So she's obviously found her symptoms relatively manageable. But she was asking, well, everything I'm reading saying the benefits of estrogen are, are so good. Should I be considering HRT, even though I'm now post-menopausal and I was really interested to to read that it's a really and I've I I talked to quite a lot of ladies it's so again I'm going to do British Menopause Society says that HRT should be used for symptom relief and that the evidence the evidence as you get older um is less strong in terms of your, your health benefits and um, it's really hard to separate all that evidence out, I think, and there isn't enough of it to make a, an, um, an evidence-based decision. However, if you're otherwise fit and well, um, we know that, for instance, 
so it's, it's trying to think which so osteoporosis let's use osteoporosis as an example we know that women have one in five one in six risk of um, an osteoporotic fracture and men's risk no let me think no that's not right one in two one in three men's risk is one in seven one in eight don't quote me on those figures because they might be wrong i'm pulling them out of the air to illustrate that um women have a higher risk of osteoporotic fractures than men and that is because we lose our estrogen and we know that when we give estrogen back your bones get stronger now if you look at um uh, the uh, the guidance it says that um, HRT should be considered first line for bone protection up to age sixty, but beyond that, it's all those other medications, uh, the bone medications and all the rest of it. We should all be taking vitamin D, by the way. That's a good message, and the activity stuff is really important. Um, but um, so um, estrogen protects your bones for as long as you take it. When you stop it, your bone density drops back down to what it would be anyway. Um, uh, my mum at the age of 73, had been on HRT in her 50s. Uh, she then stopped it because she was told to because she'd been on it five years. In her 70s, she's got osteoporosis. It's actually, that's the reason I went on to HRT in the first place and the whole load of symptoms I didn't realize I had disappeared. My mum started it in her 70s at half a pump of estrogel, which is a tiny dose, but it's, and she's had a hysterectomy, so she doesn't need progesterone and she's feeling loads better. So, um, and but primarily she's taking it to protect her bones. So again, if there's an annual review and you want to take it for that reason, you, you might get some question, questioning looks from your GP. Well, why would you? And actually, you know, the British Menopause Society would say don't give it for long term risk management. But I've had conversations with women who have breast cancer about that as well, saying I'm more bothered about having an osteoporotic fracture now than I am about my breast cancer coming back. They're like 10 years on from having breast cancer. Um, so, you know, it, it's a really interesting, um, we could probably, I could do a whole session on that even, but, um, uh, but essentially it, it, HRT is primarily there for symptom relief, but we happen to know it has some other benefits. Thank you so much. I, my mind's like, boom, I've learned so much. It's been so interesting to listen to. I think it's going to be so helpful for the girls that have asked questions. Um, and I definitely think there's going to be demand for a part two for sure. Mm -hmm. oh, sorry about the binging in the corner of my screen and um, yeah no absolutely uh, you know I'm, I'm really really keen to get people as armed with information as possible and not to go and have fights with their GPs by any means but just to have that knowledge and to be able to go armed with the right information and almost know what to expect and what kind of questions you should be asking um, and so you know if I can help with that then brilliant seriously how good was that episode like I say, I hope that it's educated you, empowered you and give you some food for thought in terms of taking charge of your own healthy and happy. Tune in next week. We have Chewing the Fruit with Jules and there's going to be loads more guest experts joining me in the next few months. So please do follow the podcast, rate it, like it, share it, let your friends know about it. Um, thanks for tuning in. Loved it as always. Mm -hmm.